Before we open God's word, let's bow our hearts for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ, we approach thee now in prayer. We have a petition to offer thee, to bring before thee, O Lord, in this evening. Our petition is that thou wouldst glorify thyself through thy servant tonight. Glorify thyself through this assembly tonight. O Lord Jesus, we pray that thou wouldst be present front and center in this evening's worship. We trust the Holy Spirit will be our help as we look into these ancient words that lead us to thee. Help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Loved ones, this evening I'd like to use for a basis of our meditation Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, a few verses from the beginning. 1 Corinthians 15, I'd like to begin with verse number 1. We read these words in that chapter. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, and after that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Who am I? The Apostle Paul did not hesitate to answer that question. He was who he was by the grace of God. It's always appealed to me when people can speak with confidence, and I suspect it's because for much of my life I've lacked confidence. But as I read these words together with you tonight, we see the Apostle Paul, by the grace of God, he made this statement, I am what I am by the grace of God. Throughout the scriptures and through our lives, we encounter those who were able to speak with confidence things that came out of a conviction from within their heart, things that they were sure of and no one could shake it from them. Think with me for a moment of the young lass whose name was Rhoda there in Acts chapter 12 when Peter was imprisoned and the church was gathered at the house of Mary praying for Peter. And Peter was released by the angel of the Lord, and Peter came and knocked on the door, and, 
And the scripture says she was so thrilled and for gladness of heart, she forgot to open the gate. She ran back inside the house and she told them, it's Peter who's outside. And they could not uh, believe that. As she was just a young girl. What would she know? And, and they told her she was even mad to suggest such a thing. And she, but she constantly affirmed it was so. She was confident because she knew his voice. She knows this is Peter. And the door was open. It wasn't his angel. It was Peter. And they were astonished. But she was rejoicing because she had confidence in her heart. She knew the voice of Peter, and it was he. Think of others who have spoken confidently of who they are. Of course, we'd have to think of our Lord Jesus. There was a time in John chapter 8 where the noose was starting to tighten, as so the Pharisees thought, around this this rabbi from Nazareth. And in John chapter 8, as they engage him in questions and they begin to try to box him in and they ask him who he is, they, they end up saying in verse 25, who art thou? Who are you? You see, we take this question, who am I? We turn it around. We ask that same question to our neighbor. We would not say, who am I? We would say, who are you? And this is what they were asking the Lord. Well, the Lord knew who exactly who he was. He's a son of God. And in chapter 8 of this Gospel of John, he made it ever so clear who he was. I am. And it was, he said that actually a few times in that chapter, I am. And it was finally at the last time he said that word. You know, in the English, the translators added the word he, I am he. But in the Greek, it says, I am. And finally, when he says, before Abraham was, I am, it, it certainly was to the very keen Pharisees who are listening, scrutinizing every word that he came out of his mouth. They knew where he was tying himself to. Exodus 3.14, when the burning bush, the Lord spoke out of that and said to Moses, when Moses said, what is your name? I am that I am. And when Jesus said, I am, before Abraham was, I am, they knew exactly who he was identifying himself with. He had no question in his mind, in his heart, who he was. And so he answered confidently the question of, who art thou? Another person comes to mind who I suspect also would have answered that question very confidently. As a matter of fact, in my mind, I think he probably didn't even waste much time with a question like this, who are you? And I'm referring to Saul of Tarsus. Who, is, who are you, Saul? Mr. Saul from Tarsus, I'd like to know who you are. And he was quick, I believe, from what we can read in the Scripture by his own, by his own description of himself. I am circumcised the eighth day. I am of the stock of Israel. I am of the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Hebrew of the Hebrews. At touching the law, I'm a Pharisee. If you ask me about my zeal, I have persecuted the church. If you ask me about the law, I am blameless according to the righteousness of the law. I don't think Saul of Tarsus waited, wasted a whole lot of time with wondering about a question like that at this moment in his career. 
He knew who he was. He was a defender of the faith. He was Saul of Tarsus. He was a privileged man. In the scriptures he records when he wrote to Galatians, I profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the tradition of my fathers. When he was speaking to King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, he gave this description of himself. He said, I, I, Many of the saints I shut up in prison. And I have received authority from the chief priests. When they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. I punished them in every synagogue, wherever they dared to raise themselves up and wherever they dared to assemble, I was there and I punished them. And more so, I compelled them to blaspheme the very name that they claimed Jesus Christ. Who was Saul of Tarsus? I believe that man answered with confidence who he was. He was a defender of the the faith as he had received it. And yet in all these things, he had become exceedingly mad against this sect and he persecuted them even to strange cities. And yet these are the, this is the same man that we have read about here in 1 Corinthians 15. Yes, loved ones, there are many who will answer confidently the question, who are you? Who are you really? There are others who struggle with the question, who am I? I don't think Saul was one of them. But the day came when it was his turn to ask the question. And this was the turning point in his life. On the road to Damascus, when the master met him and called him by name, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It was his turn to ask the question, who are you, Lord? And his question was answered. There may be some this week who are also finding themselves having to ask that question of the Lord. As actually, that's a question I would like us to have in the back of our mind as we go through this evening. Not who am I or who are you, but actually who is Christ in you? That's the question I would hope we can keep with us in our thoughts this evening. Who is Christ in you? Who is Christ in me? Saul of Tarsus was brought to a stop, to a halt in his life. Everything came to a stop. I am Jesus, the one that you are persecuting. He was smitten, not just to the dust of the road, but to the dust of his life as he fell before the presence of Almighty God. And he came face to face with the one that he needed so much and yet he hated in equal proportion. Praise God. God's love exceeded the hatred of Paul, of Saul of Tarsus. And because he was able to ask and have his question answered on the road to Damascus, years later we read this epistle he writes to the Corinthians. And now the same man 
again, does not hesitate to answer the question of who he is. But what an answer he gives. Loved ones, tonight I have a burden on my heart that I've carried for some time. And I need to share it with you. It is a burden for those who once knew who they were in Christ, but today are no longer so certain. It's a burden for those who once were sure and confident of who they were in Jesus Christ, but today doubts and questions have raised up in their heart and they grapple with them and they know not what to do. I have a burden for them. I've spoken with too many of them in the past months. But to you, my, my thoughts are directed this evening, knowing that most who find themselves in this situation, unsure of who they are in Christ Jesus, most will likely not share that dilemma because there is fear conversely I have a burden for those who are pretty sure who they are in Jesus Christ and yet being comfortable with who they are who they are is far from who they are supposed to be in Christ. You see, what Saul of, who Saul of Tarsus was was not who was he became. And who he became is not the same as who he once was. Loved ones, I hope as we look this evening at the Scripture, we might understand from these ancient words of God how a man like Paul, this beloved apostle, could speak with such confidence about who he is by the grace of God. Yes, loved ones, there are those in our circles, there are those that we meet, there are those that we see in the mirror, who have doubts in their heart about who they are in Christ Jesus. And if it's ever possible to reclaim a lost ground in their life, I remember not that long ago sitting down with a dear brother who I cannot call by that title anymore. Now he shared with me how discouragement led to a decision to stay away from church. And how he stayed away from church, he was immediately met with an overwhelming response from the church of people reaching out to him by phone and by email and by visitation. And yet he stayed away from church. And staying away from church did not stay there, but it led him someplace. It led him to the day that he finally closed his Bible and he shared with me he stopped reading. And it didn't take very long after that 
he shared that he had stopped praying. A closed Bible led to a closed heart. When your heart's closed, there's little use for prayer. As we sat across the table, one from another, I could just weep. He could not be reasoned with. And he felt that his common law arrangement that he found himself in was fine. Loved ones, there are those who haven't reached that, but they're on the road. Because this thing about identity that we heard about throughout this week has been trouble for them. Yes, loved ones, there are those who are discouraged in their faith. There are those, loved ones, who have found themselves in places they never wanted to be, with doubts they never expected to have, and they're very real to them, and they're afraid to share them, lest it bring too many questions and too many phone calls, and it's better just to retreat than to obtain the help we need. In Hebrews, we, receive, we read that we, should receive, we, we are to receive grace to help in time of need. So, loved ones, there are those who have, are on my heart and it burdens me, and I, I desire, with the help of the Lord, to look at this, to see how Saul of Tarsus not only met the, road, uh, the master on the road to Damascus, but when he returned on that road to Damascus, he was not only a changed man, but he was a man who had confidence, but no longer in himself. Where did this confidence come from? Is it possible to have the confidence that we read about in the scripture? You know, John writes in his epistle, chapter 3, verse 21, Beloved, if our heart condemneth not, then have we confidence toward God. Is that real? Can I experience confidence toward God? Can you experience this? Or is this just theory? It looks good on paper, but we'll never achieve this confidence toward God until one day in the sweet by and by, we meet the master. Loved ones, what is the plan of God? What was the point of the gospel? You see what he said here? You, he talked about the gospel. I declare this gospel unto you. I preach it unto you. You have received it and you stand in this gospel. And you are saved if you keep in memory the gospel that I preached unto you. Are we standing in the gospel tonight? I ask you. And I ask myself. I understand the pain and the frustration of being uncertain in Christ all too well. But I praise God that he did not leave me there. Loved ones, as we look at this scripture, we find that the Apostle Paul says that by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God. What is this grace of God? What does the grace... You know, this I have found for myself in my own studies that this is another one of those words that uh, it just will not be sufficient to approach it academically. I mean, what I would normally tend to do and, and prefer to do is to look it up in the dictionary, find out what the Greek word, word is that is being translated by grace, see how it's uh, defined there, and then um, look at all the ways it's used in the Bible, and then arrive at a definition. But you know, I've, I just find that this is one of those words that it's insufficient for me 
to just look at this academically. What is grace? It's like the word repentance. You know, uh, I, I've done that also. What does it mean to repent? It means to miss the mark. Hallelujah, miss the mark. That's all it means, just miss the mark. But when you read the scripture, you find out what you hit when you miss the mark. We find out from the scriptures, we allow the scripture to interpret itself, sin is rebellion in the face of God. And the scripture, as it interprets the, what grace means, it is, it is deep, it is meaningful, it cannot be reduced to a simple definition, at least for myself. And sometimes that's hard for me because I like definitions. I like to know what words mean, and as, probably because I struggle with articulation, but I want to know what words mean. And, but with words like these that are freighted with meaning, we have to see what the Scripture describes it as. And I think that's probably why repentance has not given us a definition in the Scripture, but we're giving the fruit of repentance. We're giving a description of repentance. And so with grace, we are given a description of what God accomplishes in the lives of his children, in the life of his church, graciously. Because I believe just like mercy, grace is born out of the love of God. What is the grace of God that Paul was so confident in to say that I am what I am by the grace of God? Loved ones, This grace of Almighty God, I believe if we need a definition, if I need a definition, we will find it in His gracious disposition of His heart towards you and me, where He enables us to accomplish the things that glorify Him in our lives and in our community. It is the work of God as He graciously favors us by His Holy Spirit what a beautiful passage we find in Ephesians chapter 3 when we read that if you have, Ephesians is, is filled with teaching on the doctrine of the grace of God. And in chapter 3, Paul is writing, he says, If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, word. So this dispensation that was laid on the shoulders of Paul, the apostle, it was of grace, and it was of grace to them, to the church. He said in the same chapter, we keep on reading, Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. What I have observed, what I have observed with this word grace is that we have taken a portion of it and we have confused the portion for the whole of it. In Ephesians chapter 1, we read this. Verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Praise God for the forgiveness of sins. If we need anything, our guiltiness before God, we need to be forgiven by God. And he graciously forgives those who call out to him in repentance. This, loved ones, is a value, is, is, a, is a treasure in the grace of God, His forgiveness that He extends to you and I as we need it. But if we think the forgiveness of sins is the grace of God, period, we greatly underestimate the unsearchable riches of Christ. Here in chapter 3, he says, I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And as we search through the riches of Christ, 
we will find that God has it as at his heart much more than the forgiveness of our sins as desperately as we need that. It was a man of God who centuries ago was burdened by those who would comfort themselves in their sins because the grace of God just covered everything. Who could see grace as being a, a big blank check and whenever they needed more grace, more forgiveness, God gave them the forgiveness, you move on until you need to write another check tomorrow. He wrote these words. They wanted heaven but not holiness. They wanted covering but not cleansing. They wanted right standing but not righteousness. They wanted their sins to be forgiven but not forsaken. Loved ones, the grace of God accomplishes His will in our life and extends far beyond the forgiveness that you and I need to come into a holy relationship with Him. Listen, loved ones, as we go through this scripture, we will find that the Apostle Paul had confidence by the grace of God. He knew who he was. And he was thankful for who he was by the grace of God. Loved ones, can we echo that this, this evening, this week? Do we know who we are in Christ? And by the grace of God, can we rejoice to know that we are at fellowship with him? This he experienced. This grace of God. You know, even Jesus needed grace. Jesus needed grace. Did you know that? I, I, I found, found that as a surprise. It came to me as a surprise. Scripture tells us. Luke chapter 2. Speaks about the young, young lad, Jesus. The child grew, verse 40, waxed strong in spirit, was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Why did Jesus Christ need the grace of God? Was it for the forgiveness of sins? God forbid he was perfect in every way. He never sinned, unlike you and I. He was flawless. He was perfection in flesh. Why would he need the grace of God, loved ones? Because it was the gracious disposition of his Father toward him that enabled him to carry out his ministry faithfully, loyally, completely, Scripture tells us Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, by the grace of God, he tasted death for every man. Loved ones, we need God's grace because it takes us from a place of where we have fear and God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he takes us from a place where we have fear, where we, have, we, have, we are disturbed in our spirit, where there is doubts in our faith, where we have more doubt than faith. And it brings us to a place by the Father's heart where we are at peace, where we have this assurance, where His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that I am a child of God. Oh, loved ones, for you my burden is for those of you who have not this confidence tonight, who've allowed sin to take back parts of your heart for those who are in fear for what they see in their heart and so prefer to look elsewhere. And even for those who have made this matter of faith in Jesus Christ into something it was never designed to be. I, 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 you know, it's like people have put a painting of Jesus on their wall of their heart 
so that as they, their thoughts rush back and forth throughout the day, they once in a while glance up at the picture. Oh yes, Jesus Christ, I'm a Christian. And they move on. But, it, but he's not the living person in their heart. This is what the apostle... Can, we can experience this, loved ones. We don't have to be trapped in this endless cycle of Romans chapter 7. Oh God, forgive me. I keep on doing the sins that I hate and the things that you want me to do, I never do. Is this wretchedness of the Apostle Paul that he describes in Romans 7, is this the riches of the unsearchable riches of Christ? God forbid. Read what the Apostle wrote here in Galatians chapter 2 when he speaks of the grace of God. For I, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, and yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, not in theory, in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then what he goes on to say, I do not frustrate the grace of God. Loved ones, perhaps we are frustrating God's grace. Paul could share with a clear conscience, I do not frustrate the grace of God. I know I don't deserve the grace of God. That was never the question. But I do not frustrate it. It was, it was bestowed upon me. It is unsearchable. It is, it is a, a treasure house so vast that it cannot be measured. But it was meant for a purpose. That the objective of the gospel is found here in Galatians 2.20. The objective, the, the stated purpose of God in bringing His Son is so that His Son would live in me, that I would carry more than His name, I would carry His life. That His life of Christ would be in my heart. Oh, loved ones, what did He write in Ephesians chapter 3? Note, if you will, as He continues on here about these unsearchable riches of Christ. He says, I bow my knees unto the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your heart by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, the, depth, the height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Loved ones, this is the heartbeat of God, that you and I would be filled with His fullness and of His grace have we received, that we might have the experience to know that our Jesus is not an icon on the wall, but He is alive, He reigns, He sits on my heart, and He directs my life. Loved ones, my heart is burdened for those who have no such conviction anymore. And we find in the scriptures the road back. We find in the scriptures the road back. My brother, my sister, if you have unconfessed sin that shames you, if you have things that you have just allowed to creep in and begin to choke out the vitality of Christ in your life, there is the grace of God. The grace of God to forgive you and forgive me our sins when we fall. But to, re to rescue us and to lift us back to where we belong. Who was Jesus? He was a man who spent all night in prayer. 
Did he need the grace of God? He spent all night in prayer. I was reminded by my sister as we attended a reunion this past uh, Saturday up in Detroit. We went to go see where my grand- our grandparents' house was. And my sister said, you see the front porch there? When our mom was turning to God, she spent all, ne- all night on her knees there. When's the last time I spent all night on my knees? Jesus did. The grace of God was upon him. He was a son of God. He knew exactly who he was. He knew exactly where he fit in. But can we have such a burden in our heart? I believe it begins with prayer. It begins with knees that bow. Loved ones, I've come not this evening to challenge you. I really haven't. I've come, as in the words of the Apostle Paul, to beseech you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ, that we look within our life, and as we look in the mirror, that we see Jesus Christ there. This was the experience of Paul, and this was his joy, his confidence. He was like little Rhoda that you could not keep quiet. I know it's Peter at the door. Say what you want to. I know it's Peter. And do we know that Jesus is alive in my heart and in your heart? Loved ones, what did the Lord Jesus himself say? Take my yoke upon you and learn of me from meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest into your soul. And so I would quote it quickly. Until one day, um, the Lord stopped me as I went through there and says, And I am lowly of heart. What does the life of Christ look like when it's lived out in someone's heart, when someone's life? I believe we will see just what Jesus said. I am lowly of heart. Are we lowly? Am I lowly of heart? Am I really? Are we as a church characterized as, as an assembly of those that are lowly in heart? You know, I, I'm a little bit concerned, and I share this with the class just as a question. Earlier this week, when it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 23, and those members of the body, which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. Do we really? Do we, do we bestow as a church more abundant honor upon those parts of the church that are uncomely, those parts that are less attractive? Do we bestow more abundant honor, or are we following the pattern of the world? It's pathetic. They idolize talent. And a God whose name is Jealous looks on. Oh, loved ones, he is lowly of heart. And God refuses to give grace to anybody who is proud of heart. But when we can humble ourselves, God is so good and so gracious. And by his grace, he helps us to experience the unsearchable riches of Christ, which include the forgiveness, but includes the reality of Christ coming to live in my heart, that I might experience the fullness of God within my soul, my bosom. Do you think that's possible? Paul did. Paul knew it and stated it as a truth of his life. Loved ones, my heart weeps for those who no longer are sure of who they are. For those who have allowed compromise on whatever level to become their 
to become something common in their life and the choices they make. For those who begin to be filled with things outside and things that uh, don't belong, things that are not as clear as John made it when he says, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Loved ones, we can return. We can return. And, it, and we can experience the depth and the richness of the grace of God as he makes us who he intends us to be in this life here and now and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But you see what the first part of the verse was? I am crucified with Christ. He lived the crucified life. He spoke about crucif his crucifixion, Paul, his spiritual crucifixion in both past and present tense. For they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts thereof. Galatians, I believe, chapter 6. But here he says, I am crucified, present tense. Loved ones, if we will come to this special place by the heart of God where we can know him as he wants us to know him, it will come as we humble ourselves and we begin to live this crucified life. This life where any ugly, sinful, carnal, proud, whatever thought rises up, we crucify it. I begin actually saying that in my heart these days. I was always saying, get thee behind me, and I still say that, and as you do. But I've also said, I crucify that because it says in Romans chapter 8, but if ye do through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the flesh. You know, we cannot walk in the spirit in the same time, flesh and spirit at the same time. Romans chapter 8 makes that clear. You walk in the flesh, you're under condemnation. I was. I have reverted to that at times. And it was my bitter experience. But I praise God that his grace was greater to not only forgive me, but to set me up where he wants me to be. And I'm not speaking to you as if I have arrived, but I speak to you out of the joy of my heart for that I know who I have believed, and I am persuaded that he's able to keep me, to keep that which I have committed him against that day. My heart remains burdened for those who aren't saying the truth when they sing that anymore. But I appeal to you in the meekness and the gentleness and simplicity of Christ, come back to him. Don't be afraid to confess to him what it is that is separating you from him. For if you have become what you are never meant to be, you cannot remain there. You must not remain there. And loved ones, if you're willing to pray tonight and in this time of your life, in the seasons of your life, you shall not remain there. And I say this on the authority of God's word. And I say it confidently, not because of me or what I've experienced, but because of what God's word has said and declared so clearly. Loved ones, I want to invite those once again who in their heart of hearts know that Jesus has become merely a painting on their wall of their heart who they acknowledge from time to time in the busyness of their life. No longer Lord, but instead like the Lord Jesus himself said in Revelation when he wrote to the church, I stand at the door and knock. That was to the church. We use that evangelistically. That's fine, I suppose. 
At least I hope so, because I have. But um, Revelation chapter 3 was written to a church. I stand outside the church's door and knock. How did that happen? How did Christ get outside of his church? Loved ones, but he stood there and he knocked. And he knocks in your heart's door tonight. And if you will open, he has promised. And that's why I say this. He has promised he will come in. Who am I? Who are you? Who is Christ in you? Brother and sister, who is Christ in us? Jesus was lowly of heart. He was lowly of heart. Because he was lowly of heart, he knew where he belonged. as a servant walking the earth. Because he was lowly of heart, he loved his father so much. I think it was a joy for him to be all night on his knees. I'm sure he shed much tears. The scripture tells us that. There was strong crying and tears, the Bible tells us, about the Lord Jesus and his prayers, some of his prayers. But he loved his father, and his father loved him so much. Because he loved his father, he was so content to be exactly where God wanted him to be. Are you and I content where God wants us to be? I think of the believer who told me not all that long ago that their marriage is impossible. They cannot go back. They've separated themselves for good reason. It's as if, it's as if they... When they were making their vows, they really meant for better, but not for worse. But isn't there grace from God to carry us through the worse as well as the better? There is. There is, loved ones. It is so much grace of God to conform us into the image of his son that as people look at you and I, they see Christ in us, the hope of glory. I pray that in this week we will ask ourselves the question, who is Christ in me? And as we answer that question of who is Christ in me, I will have a better idea of who I am. And I, will, I believe I will have the confidence to answer as, Saul, as Paul, the beloved apostle, said, I am who I am by the grace of God. Praise God. I've shared with you my burden I don't know how well I've done in, in, in trying to encourage you, but I, I'm confident that what I lack in my articulation, the Spirit of God doesn't lack. And I'm confident that what I lack when it comes to encouraging you or you encouraging me, the grace of God is more than sufficient to take me out of a wretched state, a place of frustration, a place of stress, and puts me in a place where I am able to not only encounter and face the challenges that come, but by His grace, able to work and walk through the trials, holding on at times very tightly to His hand, but holding on because I know who I have believed and I am persuaded that He is able to keep 
that which I have committed unto him against that day.